Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us listening today and happy to have these guys with me today. I've got Bob. Good morning. Good morning. And Brian. Good morning, Brad. And we've got a special guest, Sandy Johnson, who's an extension beef specialist from Colby, Kansas. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning. So we're happy to have Sandy with us because we're going to talk about AI program expectations in the cow-calf herd. We're also going to talk about why sync synchronization programs differ between heifers and cows. And then we'll talk about the potential for sex semen in the beef cattle industry. And we're happy to have Sandy with us because she's done a lot of work and she's been a part of the Beef Reproduction Task Force, which represents multiple universities and, and really has done a lot of work in reproduction. And she's not here on campus. She's actually out in the field and works with cow-calf producers every day. So we're happy to have her insight. Before we get into those topics, if you have any questions, thoughts, or things you'd like us to talk about on the podcast, you can always email us at bciksu.edu. Or you can contact us at the underscore BCI on Twitter. And guys, I wanted to ask you, before we get into it, Mother's Day is this weekend coming up. So if you weren't aware, now you are aware. And I I wanted to ask you, maybe not what was the, and, and Sandy, you can play in this too. What was not the best Mother's Day gift you got your spouse, but what was the worst? <laughs> now, Bob, you may have several to pick I, from. I, I, I probably <laughs> uh, do have several to pick from. So the worst, the worst. And some of these, you know, they are only worst from someone else's perspective. From her perspective. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're only bad from her perspective. Uh, maybe so. Okay. So the... the uh, See, see, and I think she even warmed up to it over time. But, but some cooking utensils in, for the kitchen because I heard her say she wanted them. It, it's but timing is sometimes important. It's not just the gift; it's the timing. Yeah. And, and some things should be just like on a Wednesday because it's Wednesday, not necessarily. No, not, so something really useful does not make the perfect. Not necessarily, although useful is not bad. Yeah. Uh, you just got to get the timing right. Brian, do you have any? Yeah, I. I don't. My my wife's birthday is May eighth, and so a lot of times birthday Mother's Day gets all. No, 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 no. You can't double them up because my wife's birthday is close too, and you cannot just say it's one holiday. Well, that's kind of what happens. Uh, <laughs> okay. So probably all of them have been the worst. <laughs> so, then, so all according of them. to Brad's rules. Yeah, that's not my rules, Brian. <laughs> Sandy, do you have any bad Mother's Day gift history? You know, my mother would love anything that I gave her, even if it was a vacuum, but I have not given her a vacuum for Mother's Day. Uh, I gave my wife a vacuum my for Christmas My mother is one year. way more forgiving than my wife, I guess I would say. So, <laughs> You know they both may listen to this, Bob. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> okay. no, we, oops, wait a minute, we can cut that out. Yeah, we better, we, we better move on to our actual <laughs> topics before Bob gets any more trouble. So, so one of the topics that I, w- I wanted to visit about this morning was when we think about AI programs, and, and since I've got the experts here, let's say I'm going to put an AI program in place for my herd, and I've not done one before. That's the setup, and I'm a commercial cow-calf operation. Maybe talk a little first, and Sandy, I'll ask you, if I'm using, a let's say, a timed synchronization program, timed AI, what kind of expectations would I have relative to breeding rate? Well, uh, before I would want to give a numerical answer to that uh, producer, I would want to know a little bit about their herd, because really the success of an AI program starts about a year in advance with, you know, how they manage the nutrition and actually the prior breeding season length can all play into that whole 
success of an AI program. But if we assume that um, cows are at appropriate stage postpartum in good body condition, then, you know, breeding with fixed-timed AI, we can do just about as good as the bull does. And in some cases, you'll hear people report better. And, you know, I think it was some program I did with Bob where he kind of pointed to this 60% conception rate on bulls as kind of a, you know, if you get 60% in the first uh, 21 days and the next 21 days and the third in, in three sessions, you're close to 94%, which is pretty close to what we see is in some of our benchmark things. So, you know, if, if we can do as good as a bull, I think that's a, a good expectation. And so for some people, they think they should have 70 or 80 percent. And, and uh, I think the average is going to be more like 55 to 60 percent on a, a fixed time day eye, which is just a little behind a bull. I like your I like your point there, Sandy, of two two points. One you got to prepare for this. It starts the year before. I, I think a lot of times we don't think about that, that it starts the year before, not six weeks before. And then two, the the breeding rate, the one-time conception rate from a bull is about two-thirds of the time. That's the best we're going to do. We're not going to get better. But often the bull's out there the whole season. So I want to talk about the year before. Brian, what what do you do the year before to, to make sure that you're ready? So... Um, a couple of things. If you've if you've never done this before, I'll 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 pick one and then I'll let Bob chime in as well. But I'll, I'll start with with training. So um, or maybe I should just start with inseminator training. So I think a big decision is: Are you going to do this yourself, or are you going to hire somebody to do this service for you? And the follow up to that question is: If you're going to do it yourself you probably better get some training. If you've never done this before, it's it's not, you don't just put it in there. So well, and, it, and it's a technical skill and, technical. and most people could do it and you could be trained to do it. The problem is if you're doing it once a year, even if you've got quite a few cows, you're only doing it once a year on your operation. So you don't have the practice. You're not going to be as the same as somebody that does it every day. And, and if you don't have very many cows, it's going to take you a long time to get the practice. So it might be several yeah. training sessions. Yeah. yeah. Proficiency. Well, some, some of Brian's point is, and I tell my students sometimes, it, I really actually kind of like being experienced. I'm not going to say old, experienced, because I got to see a lot of evolution. So when I was in high school was when uh, Lutalize came out, the first drug that really was you know, commercially available and widely used for synchronization. And, and I went to AI school when I was still in high school and started learning to breed pretty early in the in the evolution of synchronization programs. And one of the reasons why many times, and, and back in those days, we were really synchronizing heat. So cows came into heat over several days, but instead of spreading the whole herd over 21 days, we got them spread over two plus one on each end kind of days. And it, and it required then a producer or someone that was doing estrus detection every you know 12 hours or more re frequently and then inseminating multiple times over a three to five day period of time. Um, and that required, in most situations, the producer to do that. With the advent of timed insemination, where we really got the, the ovulations so that the cows really ovulate within a few hours of each other rather than a few days, that's when we actually had the opportunity to use some of these uh, AI companies, the breeding companies, and then specialists who come in and st rather than doing 
you know, heat detection every 12 hours for several days and then breeding cows every 12 hours for several days, you could come in on an appointment and do breeding. And that really changed things a lot because we went from a lot of producers needing to get the training, get the experience, to basically hiring it out to professionals, which is, in my opinion, more common, although there are still some producers doing their own AI. But th- but I think one of the things you described, Bob, is the, the programs have become more intensive. You've got two or three injections you might give or some other procedures that you might do. Sandy, what do you, when you talk to producers about and they say, hey, I want to start this AI program, what's the conversation like about facilities and labor? What are my needs in those areas? Right. You know, the, the, in our best fixed-timed AI systems were three, three trips down the chute with the third being insemination. And so, you know, if you got to pull the truck, you got to have enough trucks to hold up the side of the, the crowds, bumping into them three times in a week might, uh, you know, be, be tough. So, yes, it does take some decent facilities. And, and you know, if we want to do fixed-time AI, we want to be able to do that in, in you know, what whatever we can breed in three to four hours. But the nice thing is there's a lot of portable facilities uh, available now. And if you hire a company, they may come in with, portable corrals, uh, breeding barn, and with the right facilities, boy, it's just so much easier. And, you know, once you've bred in a, some of these AI barns, it's like, I don't want to go back to breeding it to shoot. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's kind of like having some of the nice amenities that's in your pickup now versus uh, what, when Bob was first learning <laughs> yeah, exactly. to drive, you know, I mean, much yeah. nice. Yeah, we actually have air conditioners now. Yeah. <laughs> and I think one of the things that you point out is the, the lower stress that we can go through that system, it's better for both the cattle and the people. And cattle, if you go through, if you're used to working your cattle once a year, this is different because you're doing three times through the shoot within about a 10 day period. And it can, you want to have good facilities to do that. And this is part of the setup that starts the year before. The other thing I'd go back to and emphasize is you said it wasn't just the physical setup and the training and the preparation, but it's how did my herd breed last year? So if they were over a long calving season and pretty spread out, it's going to be hard to get them synchronized and tight in the next year. So you may want to pick a subset of cows, but I think your your rule of thumb there, if I'm hitting 55 to 60%, I'm only going to do that if my cows are ready to breed, if they've had the appropriate amount of time postpartum and get ready. So I thought that was an excellent point. And we talked about sync programs and Bob, you talked about some of the changes, but I want to talk about how do, cause we'll have different synchronization programs for heifers and cows and Bob, why do they differ? Well, I'm going to give a shout out to Sandy and the group at the, the brief reproduction task force. Uh, because again, I, I've kind of been an observer participant as these synchronization protocols have evolved. And one of the things that somebody discovered along the way was, well, the heifers are responding a little bit differently than the cows to these these hormone injections as far as the timing of ovulation. And so I'm going to just pass it off to Sandy because she was more actively involved in some of that evolution of really figuring out. And so this is a great land-grant story of doing research and then applied kind of lab research, applied research, and then application in the field. Yeah, so what we found about heifers is that one one of the tools we use to synchronize ovulation is to use a hormone uh, GnRH, gonadotropin-releasing hormone, and heifers 
do not seem to respond to it as consistently as cows. So if 80% of a group of cows may respond to it, heifers, you know, maybe, I don't know, 40% to 70%. And, and we think that's probably because they're just starting to cycle and, and maybe as they've been past puberty longer, their response may be more consistent. But the fact that they, they're just not trustworthy when it comes to response to GNRH, we've had to look at different systems. And as you compare some of our cow or heifer systems that we uh, have recommended, that you know, there may not be GNRH and a heifer protocol where it is in the cows and it just doesn't seem to matter. And sometimes we include it because it's a, you know, you've got so much invested, let's go ahead and make this other minor investment in, in that, particularly a fixed timed AI protocol, you know. So really has to do with that inconsistent response of heifers and uh, that have changed those, you know, where we have those differential recommendations. So I think that's an that's an important difference. The other one I've noticed in some of the programs is it looks like the because another hormone that's used is progesterone or a progesterone supplement. And it looks like in some of the heifer programs, sometimes that's fed for a longer period or if it's implanted, it's implanted for a longer period. Uh, why would that be? Well, uh, you know, we can use those longer term protocols on cows as well. But when you start dealing with a group of cows that are going to calve over 60 days, that longer treatment period means that you're essentially starting that program on some cows that are really pretty short postpartum and may not be ready to respond to that. So, you know, depending on what that calving distribution is, in some cases they can work as well but you know what we've tried to do is make recommendations that we think fit a broad range of of production settings and and we have other things that maybe are a better choice for cows so here i've got a question for sandy while we've got her here because i i i have opinions and sometimes my opinions are based on lots of information and sometimes only some and something that i believe and maybe you can correct me is we talk about these progesterone supplements actually helping to jumpstart. In other words, kind of to have cows come into heat earlier than they would if we didn't use the progesterone. But I tell people that oftentimes what I'm really aiming for is I think our synchronization programs in cows will work really well for those that calved in the first 30 days, really well. For the ones that calve, say, 30 to 40 days before my breeding, it'll work eh, pretty good, but not quite as well. And then I get below 40 and I'm down to 40 or 50 um, that's when some cows will respond to the synchronization program and get bred, but fewer and fewer successful. So I always talk about those cows in the first 30 days. Is is that the number you use, or would you drop it down to 40? Or where do you think the synchronization protocols work really well? Well, uh, um, you know, as we look at this broader data sets and compare uh, situations where we have cows that are cycling and some that are non-cycling, you know, we'll sample progesterone prior to starting a treatment. There's times when those non-cycling cows actually have a higher AI pregnancy rate than the cycling ones. And I think that's because they're very close. We actually have a little better follicular control in that case than we do with this group of random cycling cows. So they were so, about ready to start cycling when you right, started the progesterone. Right. So they were real close, yeah. Yeah, so I think some of those about cows are, are really good. 
to use. And, and so we're predicting cyclicity based on those things we know, days postpartum, body condition, age, the general thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things, and you talked about some of your data there, Sandy, I think you, as a part of that beef reproduction task force, you've come up with a lot of good materials. There's some good programs. There's, I like the pictorials of what are the sync programs available. We'll put some links to that in the show notes. And I know you've done some other articles on that as well. So we'll put links there so that people can find all your materials easily, because I think it's a great resource for people investigating sync programs or trying to decide. Last, last question. I'm going to, oh, last question I wanted to ask you guys today was relative to sex semen and beef cattle. And Brian, we've talked about this a little bit on the show before in the, in the dairy industry, sex semen has dramatically changed how we're handling those calves because we can create our replacement heifers and then we get the beef on dairy cross. Do you, do you have any feel for what that's going to look like in the beef industry? Well, it's maybe we should just recap on what the dairy thing real quick is. So, you know, in the dairy industry, like you said, we can use we can use dairy semen to develop our heifer herd, so our next group of lactating cows. But then once we get enough of those, you know, historically, either dairy bulls or steers or the additional heifers um, may go into a feeding system where they're not very efficient. So it's it's not really the best system. And so what's happened is is they've started to use beef male semen to produce beef on dairy cross steers that will go into a feed yard and, and much more efficient and probably probably higher quality product coming out of those well, systems. And that's all driven by the fact that they can they can use sex selected heifer. So right. when I yep. say heifer semen, it's semen that will give me a heifer. Right. Yep. Uh, and so I can be my, my very best cows to produce the next generation of females and then the cows in the bottom half of the herd get to be bred to a beef right. semen bull. And the technology's been around for a while, but it hasn't been economically efficient, right? And Sandy, what do you see? Is, is this is sex semen going to play a role for, let's say, the commercial cow-calf producer? A lot of that, uh, how it will be implemented in the, say, beef industry is going to depend on, the again, the value difference between the genders which you know for some operations and or maybe marketing bulls that's pretty easy to justify um, you know target certain genetics one way or the other so in, in other cases in just a commercial producer as you look at differences between steer calves and heifer calves at times you know can we alter that ratio enough that we're benefited then by uh, more male calves that we're, we have to market, not only because of their weight, uh, but the, a total value difference, I guess. And, you know, there are, are points in that market where that value is uh, bigger, the value difference is greater than you might expect for those that are watching it closely. So, Sandy, I have a question for you, and I, I think I've heard things, but I don't, I kind of like Bob, I have some information, but probably not all the information. So one of the things you hear about sex semen is the fertility isn't the same using that technology. What's your what's your thought on that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's been improved in various iterations of handling and, and extenders, but we're still not totally equivalent to, you know, our conventional semen. The handling process is just kind of hard on it. Think of it as the cells get kind of beat up in the sorting process. 
And so there, there's, you know, we're still lagging that somewhat. And what we, the other thing we note is with conventional semen, we can use that in a fixed time day eye setting and uh, get some decent responses from cows that haven't exhibited estrus yet. But for sex semen, really need to put that in cows that have, have exhibited heat. Uh, fertility when they haven't exhibited heat is really, really poor. And so if, if we use it intelligently, you know, in, in our cows that are in best position to be high fertility, you know, long days postpartum, good condition, we can get pretty close to that conventional semen. But, you know, we, we do have to be selective. Okay, well, that's good because that's the information I had too. And I think that that's a huge difference between beef and dairy systems, right? In dairy systems, people are observing heats. And so we, we have a little bit of advantage over what we do in a, in a cow, commercial cow-calf operation. I'm just picturing how she described the process. It sounds like they need better working facilities for the semen when they go through and sort it because they get a little beat up going through that process. So is that is that how it works, Bob? Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You got little That's sperm cowboys down there running the <laughs> Running the them through, and you just got a sort gate. Sorting Males gate. on this yep. side, yep. females on that side. That's exactly. That's the way to picture it right yeah, there. Yeah, so. Exactly. So I think one of the things that will be interesting to see as it evolves, we've talked about, you, you know, you look at the swine industry and you have terminal herds and you have maternal herds and you can capture the both of those in the same you get the right genetics for the right problem that you're trying to solve and I think that's a potential opportunity on the commercial side that's been very hard to do we've actually done it with separate herds right you have a purebred herd that's producing your breeding stock and then you may save your heifers there so do you think that's an opportunity with sex semen I, I think it might be you know and so picture my my maternal cows that I really like the way, you know, their, their efficiency, their mothering ability, those kinds of things. And gosh, it's kind of a waste to get a bull calf from them sometimes. And that, that maybe we can target some of those. One of the things, like I say, that the beauty of being more experienced is people try, you know, there's some trial and error that goes on as new technology comes out. And I would say AI and synchronization has been one of those where we've seen some really good. And so this is both trial and error designed research at land-grant universities, as well as producers, just what's going to work on my place or what's not. And so I'm always impressed with the ability to keep figuring out new ways to improve. That doesn't mean every idea works out well. There's trial and error <laughs> in this system. Uh, but I, So I, I don't know what in 10 years what the next iteration is going to be, but I'll bet there's going to be something that's working pretty well i don't know sandy maybe you you know exactly what the next thing's going to be oh yes Preskin mm, <laughs> here um so you know one of the things that we've talked about you know in terms of selecting these genetics is what we can do with embryos and you know right now we're talking about installing semen into these cows but th there's probably a point in time where we're looking at installing embryos and you know they could be dehorned Holstein embryos say that we've you know genetically altered and we're trying to up the, the uh, frequency of that uh, pole gene in Holstein so we generate a lot of embryos that allow us to do that but you know there's just a lot of reproductive technology that in some ways it's amazing we can do it but the package may be better off coming out as an embryo to improve the, the total picture than, than the semen. But either way, you know, we're going to be using these systems to control 
the timing of ovulation to set up when we would install those embryos versus, you know, the semen and the whole getting those cows ready is still the same, whether we install semen or an embryo. So as you look down the road, maybe practice with AI so that you're ready to take advantage of, you know, whatever the latest and greatest is that you can get with an embryo now that you can purchase and has greater value than even your best AI sired calf. That's right. Cause then you take it back to my terminal versus maternal. Now you can bring in the whole genetic package in the embryo. So as, as you've heard, Sandy's a great expert in the beef reproduction area. We'll post links to some of her materials that she's generated and you can certainly reach out and contact us or her. If you have further questions, we enjoyed you listening today. And if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, you can always send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. Mm-hmm.